It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, happy, well, whatever day, whatever time it is that it might be when you happen to be listening to this show. For me, it's Tuesday, it's one o'clock, it's the afternoon, and I'm excited to have two fantastic guests, uh, as we seem to always be so lucky to have these wonderful guests each and every week, and I'm going to talk to talk to you about them in just a moment. But, you know, if you happen to be tuning into the show, maybe for the first time, or you haven't been here for a while, you may be wondering, well, why why is there a show? Why is there a talent talk? And why is Chris here with these two awesome people to talk about talent today? And that's really been a passion of mine to, to pull people aside that are, I think, are smart, that are doing amazing stuff, that maybe you're dealing with big challenges or big obstacles, or maybe even trying to implement big ideas in, in the world of talent, and to pick their brains, get a conversation, find out what they're thinking about, what are they doing, what are they worried about, what are they reading, and that was really the evolution for this to become a show because I was doing it all the time on my own and I was getting the great benefits of hearing from them, but the rest of the world was not. So we've been able to really put together lots of different stories and I kind of would put them in two buckets. We really had for many years talking a lot around culture, right around talent management. And a lot of those great stories went into my first book, The Power of Company Culture. And of course, over the last year and a half or so, we've been ultra-focused on remote work, hybrid work, the, the pandemic, and dealing with this unprecedented time. And as you might have guessed, well, I have a new book out called Remote Work. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And love to have you check that out and let me know what you think. Now, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, Pacific time at 1 p.m. And if you can tune in live, that's awesome. We'd love to have you do that and connect with us on Twitter and be a part of that conversation because we are live tweeting the show. So follow at people G2. You can ask questions, make comments, and all the best little one-liners from our guests and links to their profile and books and things like that will all be listed there in case you don't have a, a pen or something to write down something clever that maybe somebody said. But if you don't get us live and you're getting us on the podcast, that's no problem. Just make sure you subscribe, whether it's on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, And that way you always know when there's another episode. All right. I kept telling you that there's two great guests today. So who are they? Well, our guest today will include uh, Ben Witter. He's the uh, author and founder and chief experience officer of the World Employee Experience Institute. And then we're going to bring in uh, uh, Dele Ola, author and director at the Technology Access Center for Aerospace and Manufacturing at Red River College. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest, Ben. Welcome to the show today, sir. Hi, good to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. So I know you're a guest lecturer, uh, you're a global mentor at the University of uh, Nottingham, Ningbo, China. I'll try to get that out right without messing that up. And uh, chair at the uh, of the UK Employee Experience Awards, global ambassador for Engage for Success. So, uh, and I think you were, if I remember correctly, are you on the uh, uh, Thinkers 50 Radar class of 2021 for, for yeah, compelling right, research? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you, you seem like a busy guy. So why don't you tell everyone, you know, kind of about you, what should we know about you for our conversation today? I think the main thing is that I focus on the experience of work. So that's been the consistent theme uh, throughout my career. And that's what's led to the inclusion on the Thinkers 50 radar this year, which is just, you know, overwhelming in terms of the recognition that the field of employee experience is starting to get now. Uh, my second book, Human Experience of Work, has just come out last month in the US and around the world as well, uh, which followed my first book, Employee Experience. So it's this topic of experience that runs through my career, runs through my day, runs through my week, and uh, runs through my life. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I tend to help companies grapple with the idea and help them apply it in practice, as opposed to talking about you know employee experience as this abstract concept. It's how do we really get moving with employee experience and how do we make it count for our brands. So how do we kind of move the, maybe the conversation from employee engagement to employee experience? And I guess, and as a part of that, do you see this as a, a larger macro type of a, a thought, or is this more of a micro thing? Is this something we do one employee at a time or one, you know, sort of one position at a time? What's sort of the lens that you're looking at this from? So our lens is very holistic. So we looked at research from global companies different contexts, different backgrounds, different circumstances. And we found that they were delivering incredible, somewhat remarkable results because they focused on the experience as opposed to the methodology of employee engagement, which we seem to, uh, we've come to a global conclusion on this, which is engagement is an outcome of experience. Mm. And that's a fundamental difference with employee engagement. We view it as one indicator of impact of great uh, excellence in employee experience, but it's only one indicator of impact on the way to business results, which is the ultimate uh, kind of uh, destination for employee experience work. So I suppose that's the key differentiator. Yeah. And I guess it makes sense because if I go into a store and I have a great experience, then I'm going to be engaged to, to buy their products again, to tell my friends about it. Right. So it makes total sense. And yet for the employee world, for the business world, it does feel like we've sort of disconnected the two in a lot of ways that we're talking talk about them in very different ways. And in fact, I, I I would probably say there's a lot of people, even those even on this show, that would say the experience is about from potential employee to day one, right? That that's the experience, and then the engagement would be after. And that that certainly seems like the wrong way to define that. Yeah, exactly. The 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 phrase I like is from pre hire to retire. And everything in between, all the moments, interactions, and experiences that we have, they cultivate that strong sense of loyalty, sense of belonging, and all the business results that flow from there. So yeah. focusing on the experience really does, um, yeah, it makes it makes a fundamental difference because it is very practical. It's not, you know, employees don't come into work and say, "Oh, you know, I hope I'm going to be engaged today." <laughs> they don't talk about engagement. They talk about experiences, like real yeah. experiences that make them think, feel and act in certain ways. And that's what we want more of, not less of. Well, certainly some of those experiences happen in the first moments, in the first hours, yeah. right? That someone's going to start working. 
And I, I, I've given this advice a thousand times to people. Like, if you're not ready for someone to show up on Monday when they're supposed to start their job, then don't have them show up on Monday. Like, mm. the worst thing you can do is have them walk in. You don't have a computer for them. They don't have their business cards. They don't have a desk or whatever those things are, right? That Like, to just even begin. Like, tell them to, you'll pay them. Come in on Tuesday. We're not ready. Like, that's such a better experience for someone to show up actually do their job. Yeah, um, and it, it's, yeah. it stands out when they do that. I've got to say, it, it makes a big mark and an imprint in terms of, you know, how how well they feel about the employer. I remember a, a call, meeting with a colleague to discuss uh, onboarding experience. <laughs> she went into this is one of the big tech firms, so that they should know better, and that usually they do do better. I must say, uh, but she walked in and the receptionist said, uh, "We're not quite ready for you. Can you go and walk around the block for thirty minutes?" <laughs> She was less than impressed, given all the hype about their employee experience. But it does, you know, when words and actions meet, it comes together beautifully. But if things are out of kilter or out of sync, then it's going to be quite challenging. And I wonder how maybe what some of your thoughts are around the design of this from a, you know, experience standpoint, when we have a a remote workforce. So I think people have been dealing with this in the last year, year and a half. And uh, certainly they're going to continue to deal with this. You know, for my organization, because we've been remote since 2009, uh, we we figured out pretty quickly a couple key things that were important for us. Like, I let them pick their own laptop, right? Mm. I tell them, go to Costco, go, go on Amazon, here's your budget. You pick the one you want, right? Why, why am I picking what, what you want? Why am I choosing what size monitor and all that stuff? Like, here's your budget, you decide, right? Like, it was like, because that's important for our culture that we want people to customize their experience and we want them to feel like they have autonomy and they have freedom to do what they want to do inside of that world of work. There's sort of like a psychological process we figured out to get them to be a part of their own onboarding. But I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if there's other things that you sort of typically talk about or have been talking about to help people with the remote aspect of of the experience. Yeah. So there's a great case study in my new book, uh, human experience at work on uh, a Polish firm. Uh, again, a, a tech business. They've been digital first for um, since day one. And I spoke with the founder and, and chairman, and I was like, "Okay, what what did you do that's different to your competitors? What did you do that was different to other uh, people in your market?" And it was very clear around. You know, they've always been a work in progress. They're not perfect. But what they did do very well is install that DNA into the business from day one. So it was a digital-first company. There was a deep level of human centricity in the way that they did that, similar to your example of core creation, giving people autonomy, control, and choice over their careers and how they get their jobs done. Now, that's massively valuable, and it's massively human-centered. You know, you're creating great experiences just by doing that. And that's what digital-first businesses tend to do. Another example from the book was a recruitment firm, which became suddenly from nothing uh, one of Asia's leading recruitment firms. And they've never, you know, they've never had a physical office space. And I'm like, well, how do you do this? Because I met the guy who founded the business, co-founded the business in Shanghai for a coffee. We set up that coffee over WeChat. The P- uh, his PA came to me. It was all seamless. It was all fantastic. You know, it was a brief kind of a WeChat. Okay, let's let's have coffee. So we meet up. And then two minutes when I'm walking back from the meeting, uh, I get a, an email from his PA saying, wonderful meeting. Thank you for your time. Uh, if you need anything else from me, please let us know. I'm like, this is just so seamless. 
It's so impactful. And I mm. came away with such a refreshing impression of this company. And the bombshell was he'd never, ever met his PA. <laughs> they were working seamlessly together when she was based in Singapore. He was based in Shanghai. They've never physically met. They've just worked virtually all that time. But right. you can see the rhythms and the practices they've got, and it, it does make a huge difference. I think it's often about deciding what's important, being explicit about what you want and what you don't want. Uh, right. And just to your point, it's sort of this curation. What is the outcome I want for this meeting or all meetings that we're going to have like this? Or what is it I want people to come away with? I think so many people just don't curate meetings. They don't curate. Uh, and this is a lot what I talk about in my books is about curating these meetings and curating these experiences because I used to want to have very little rules. I wanted enough autonomy. I wanted people to feel like we could, this thing could be an organic thing, right? What I discovered was I was doing them a disservice. Instead, I needed to have very strict rules, but I needed to have lots of different types of meetings so we could have, we, we weren't always stuck in the same meeting in the same experience. We could have lots of different experiences. But inside of each one of those, it was, this is what you can expect, right? Just like if I go to a horror film, I know exactly what to expect from a horror film. I know exactly what to expect from a, rom- a rom-com or whatever, right? So there's sort of these rules that we sort of expect from things. And then we know what the experience is going to be when we show up. Um, and so I know what to do, what not to do, how to act, how not to act. Do I contribute? Do I just shut up and listen? Like, what am I supposed to do as the employee? Are there other types of like very critical you know, elements to employee experience that maybe people should think about create, you know, curating to, to a very maybe much more complicated level than they're doing now? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's so much you could do. And there's, yeah, it depends on the, the context of the business and, and all the, the circumstances behind it. But I suppose focusing really on, on your truth as an organization, so your purpose, your mission, your values, and how do they filter through into all these kind of micro and macro interactions and decision points? And that's a big thing a lot of employers miss. They don't connect the brand truth to their people. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, they could say, okay, we're a, we want to be you know, entirely digital, but you, you work inside the business and it's clunky, cumbersome, and Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> it's, it just doesn't match the consumer promise. So that it's not really truthful. So you haven't really installed that that purpose, that mission, the values into the business effectively. I think world class organizations, many of which I've covered, you know, over fifty case studies in my books, they literally kind of nailed this in terms of, like you say, setting the expectations for the experience, making sure they design it in a human centered way, and co creating at scale with the workforce is part of a routine and a ritual. It's not an exception anymore. And that's fantastic to see, I would say. Yeah. And, and then I think in any good uh, process, I think people are probably thinking they should go check out your books, right? If they need more specific, more tactical ways to help them. But I think on the flip side too, anything we do, we want to make sure that we're getting value out of it, that it's working for us. As When I say us, I mean leadership, uh, us as the company. And then of course, us as the, uh, the employees at, at large, right? That all of these different things we're doing are working. And to know that it takes good measurement. So is there uh, an ideal way to really measure what the employee experience really is? Yeah, I think so. You know, are you progressing your, your truth into the world? Are you delivering your business results? You could be delivering business results on the back of a broken workforce. Mm-hmm. That's not real progress. There's a lot of companies That's like not, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's too many companies like that, unfortunately. 
so the the model I present in the next book or the, the current book now, we really we've come through a pandemic and we now stand to question what is business progress, and business progress for me based on all this research is, are you impacting people, planet, and performance in a positive way? Now that will lead to becoming an admired, respected, and trusted brand. Now, if you're not doing that, you may have the financial performance. You may be satisfying shareholders, but your employees may be protesting on their campuses or in the offices or in the factories. So unless you cure that and solve that, you're not a world-class brand. You can claim to be for all you all you want, but the, the reality is you're not because there's so many people against you and what you represent in the world. So I think this idea of business progress has changed, and I think it's continued to change how we set up our organizations for success, including the HR function. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is humans as resources a great concept in this 21st century? I don't think it is, and I right. think we're on the way to change. It's just a matter of time before that does eventually change. Yeah, I, I often think that that department should be split up into two pieces, right? I mean, it should be, and we're starting to see organizations really put a stamp on things like a chief people officer, a chief culture officer, head of remote. I mean, they're putting it more into the softer skill stuff. Um, You can easily outsource or hire someone to get forms filled out, right? To do compliance. Yeah, exactly. I I put that, so I put a structure together in in my book just as a suggestion, which is based on uh, what some companies are doing. One company in the UK changed from HR to a working life team. We had Ford. We worked on an official case study together. 200,000 employees. They've just changed from a CHRO to a chief people and employee experience officer. I think the key for all these businesses, including you know GSK and, and others, the key is to filter it through your structure. So not stop at just at the top and the the kind of the head of the, what do you call that? Head of the fish or <laughs> head of yeah. the, the beast. Yeah, that's symbolic and it sets the right tone at the top, but you need to filter that through your business. So HR business partners changes, HR officers, HR advisors, all of those roles become more like a people professional. And we develop these really rich skills around design thinking, people analytics, uh, and all the great organizational psychology stuff, organizational behavior. Uh, There's so much stuff in there that's coming through, which HR as it stands right now is ill-equipped to deal with. So again, we need more investment in HR, not less of it, but it's going to be a very different function uh, by the end of all this change. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see. There's so much already changing, and then you add in the year that we've been through the pandemic, and you add mm-hmm. it, and now this what I think is a good shift towards remote work and flexible work, uh, and 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 I think that that really goes into this human centric uh, approach to work. That you know we can't we can't we can provide an experience where we are thinking about humans, but if we think about all humans as the same. Uh, all of our employees need to fit into this one mold or this one type, right? Then we're not really giving a great experience and we're certainly not providing the organization, you know, fresh talent and, and new ideas and, and diversity and inclusion and all of that. If there's so this cookie cutter thing of what we're going to give you a good experience, but you better be six foot one and male and this and we're from this place. And like, you know what I mean? If it's just so cookie cutter that, you know, we're, we're just filling in that th- those molds. Yeah, and that's an interesting one. And you can see there's a massive split between companies and the corporate world right now on this. You have actually some of the tech firms taking a very draconian stance on, you know, rules, regulations, and processes in terms of what they deem acceptable uh, mm-hmm. for, for their work life. 
Um, and I find it very interesting because they've built reputations of progressive enterprises, but when it comes to this now, they're really stamping out any any form of choice and, and uh, autonomy to make decisions. So it's you have to fill in a form, you have to get an approval for this this work method. I'm not sure that's the future, but equally I'm not sure um, that companies have really found the, the right answers on this. I think it's going to be a combination of hybrid and there's going to be some organizations that embrace it fully. There's going to be some like Netflix and others that will you know, bring all their employees back as quickly as possible because of collaboration and connection concerns. Um, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. It, it really is. And it's just one big experiment out there right now, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to get away from it being a, a bureaucratic uh, species. I mean, we certainly seem to find ways <laughs> to bring it in. I'm mean, almost like the Vogons in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Like there's always a form for something. I could blame the lawyers for that, right? I mean, there's certain, a lot of organizations really feel it's pressure to to deal with all these suits and things that come to them and, and to deal with the complexities of laws. I mean, just in the States, you could have 50 different laws to be dealing with and even actually even more, I get on the county level, right? And so it can be very complicated. And so the natural reaction is to turn around and say, just make it the same for everyone. Let's make it legal. Let's not have this issue come up again, which I think is a mistake, it, but it's easier, right? It's, it, it's hard to give everyone this customized experience and to figure that out. Um, yeah, that is, it takes a, this is why world-class brands really establish themselves as such, because it is hard work. Uh, it's fulfilling work. It's enjoyable work. It's, it's meaningful work, but it is tough. And that's what all the employee experience leaders I speak to around the world tell me constantly. It's the most fulfilling time in my career, yet it's also the most profoundly challenging one. (laughs) Because all of a sudden they have to think really holistically about the employee experience, the structure, the technology, the the co-creation, the human centricity, the the community, the workplace. And it's like, you know, are we living our truth through all of this? So it's quite difficult to navigate, but I think the ones that come through and get used to doing that, are the ones that thrive. Yeah, yeah. I think this is sort of, it makes sense, but, you know, there certainly feels like there's a pretty big competitive advantage to be gained through employee experience. Um, mm. Do you think that if it's enough to, for organizations to invest the time, money, energy, the things that they mean to do, especially if maybe they're in the middle of the road, right? Can they, you think they can really, elevate themselves that can really start competing against the top people in their industry, you know, by, you know, I, I guess exclusively really focusing on the experience component. These organizations tend to have an outsized impact in the world. So whatever, whatever starting position they find themselves in, they're always the one that stands out for the right reasons. So whether that's a, a restaurant in Tallinn, I studied, whether that's a bakery in Cyprus, whether that's a, a shoemaker and locksmith in, in the UK, these are the companies that people talk about because they're admired, they're respected, and they're trusted. And again, it's for the right reasons. There's nowhere of you know ethical concerns. There's no consumer dilemmas around spending your money there. These are champion brands. A lot of them are hidden because they don't go around shouting about it. Right. And this is these are the cases I like to bring to the, to my readers as well. So I think it is worth the time. But again, the, the research on this on a global scale has shown if you invest in your employee experience, you're going to be more profitable, more productive. Customers are going to be more satisfied. And you're actually going to be more innovative, which is right. wonderful because everyone, every business leader chases that. So let's deliver it through the employee experience. 
Well, I certainly hope we continue to grow and this gets better. I mean, there's lots of data points out there for experience about mm-hmm. having a more diverse company, about having more women in leadership. And yet we see organizations continue not to do these things, despite the data and the research saying they're going to be better off for it. Everything's going to be better if they just do these things and yet they continue not to do them. So uh, I don't know, maybe we need to walk around with a billy club and we can just whack them on the head a few times and we could get them to change a little faster. But <laughs> I mean, it's, it's shocking when you look at the stats on representation of female board members yeah. and executive yeah. team members in the, on the FTSE, uh, FTSE 100 and the uh, Fortune 500. It's, uh, it's a scandal. It should be talked about a lot more. And yeah. also correlated to that is that HR human resources is a female dominated profession. How many CEOs come from a HR background? Very, I mean, I, I maybe could think of one. Like that it's I a disaster zone. It's, yeah. And that's why HR needs to change as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, we learned a lot, and I certainly hope our audience goes back and really starts to think more about this uh, very important issue and takes a look at your books. Uh, what's the best way for them to find out more about you or connect with you if they're interested in, in learning more about you and your work or working with you? Uh, just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Hex Organization is is a kind of umbrella company. So those are those are two good places. BenWitter.com also as well for the keynote landing page. If you're looking for a keynote speaker, I speak about all manner of things about employee experience. Uh, so those are a few places. Fantastic. Thanks again for being on the show. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the awesome stuff that you're doing. Yeah, let's do it in person next time. Let's, do, let's make a change. All right. I'm all for it. I'll be nice for one. it. Thanks, sir. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and bring in my second guest, uh, Dela Ola. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Ben Witter, you can catch his interview on the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find our show. Just make sure you go there and subscribe and we can uh, make sure that those get out to you right away. Uh, don't forget, we are also on Twitter at PeopleG2. We are live tweeting this show, so you can interact with us, ask us questions, ask the guest questions, uh, follow along, comment, whatever you'd like to do, and we'd love to keep the conversation going. My next guest is uh, Dr. Uh, Dele Ola. Hopefully I've, hopefully I've said that right. And he's a change leader, public speaker, accomplished professional engineer, and award-winning author of be a change agent. Dr. Ola is now a director of Technology Access Center for Aerospace and Manufacturing at Red River. Uh, sir, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Chris. 
So uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you? It sounds like you do a lot of different things. Uh, I'm always fascinated to meet someone who's an engineer and also a public speaker because that runs a sort of counter to my stereotypes of, of engineers. So uh, what should we know about you and you know for our conversation today? Thank you very much, Chris. I think you've uh, done a very great introduction there. Uh, the other thing is that I actually live in the center of North America, in the city of Winnipeg. Uh, okay. Winnipeg is quite a cool city. I live here with my family of four. Like you mentioned, I'm the director of the Technology Access Center for Aerospace and Manufacturing at Red River College. Uh, this is the province's premier polytechnic uh, institute here. And in my work role, I serve as a major point of contact for applied research, technical services, uh, contract training for the Manitoba Aerospace and Manufacturing Committee, kind of like the go-to person when it comes to technology innovation. And earlier in my career, I worked for Accenture, uh, the management consulting giant and the global Fortune 500 company. Uh, my work was mainly around uh, enterprise systems integration and technology consulting. And as you said, my book just won an award, uh, the 2021 Next Generation Indie Book Award, which was classed as number one in the business category. So I'm passionate about corporate leadership, about personal leadership, and also about technology innovation. I love writing, I love cooking, I love talking. And my vision is to help other people to discover their own gifts and talents and become agents of change. Well, I guess inside being agents of change, uh, you know, we have to be good leaders, right? We have to really, I guess, be on our, our A game or to really be our, our best selves uh, out there as leaders. So what are some of maybe the main challenges that you're seeing people facing right now? Okay, thank you very much. Uh, there are so many challenges that uh, uh, leaders and agents of change are facing. And uh, I think I can highlight maybe two of them. Uh, the first one, which is quite relevant to the age that we are living in, is how to respond to the pace of change that we are currently experiencing in the world. Apart from the global pandemic that is going on, we know that change, uh, the way we define it, Maybe 30, 50 years ago is not exactly the same as today. Fast is faster now. And we can see the impact of change everywhere. It's become an exponential rate of change. And look at what is going on in technology, for example. The technologies that will shape our future continue to evolve very rapidly. And in, this, in the recent research that I did, I actually compared what technologies that will shape the future would look like, say, in the 1970s to what we have today. Uh, in that search, I saw that if you could uh, gather a few enlightened people and you ask them in the 1970s, what technologies would shape the future? Some of the responses you will have will be things like video cassettes, remote control, hard disk, microchips, and things like that. Uh, but in a recent uh, survey that I did with a group of engineers here in Winnipeg about two years ago, I asked them basically to name the technologies that will shape the future. At least we have things like artificial intelligence, you know, uh, 5G wireless technology. Uh, we have uh, things around cybersecurity, about additive manufacturing and all that. So what we saw is that in the space of 30 to 40 years, these technologies have changed. And not that alone, we have changes in the social system, in the political system, in the economic landscape, climate change, uh, global conflict, and all of this. So for leaders, how do you adapt or how do you respond to that change? That's a major challenge. The second one, and I think on this show, uh, quite a number of people have mentioned it, is how to transition from that old style of the command and control 
authoritative type of leadership to something that is more change-infused, like influence-based leadership that the people are looking for at this time. So leaders need to learn the attributes and the attitudes of a leader at this time. And the truth is that you don't know what you don't know. So how do we help leaders to navigate through this? I think those are the challenges. Yeah, and I think you're, you mentioned some really good points there and, and, and trying to navigate through some of these really different challenges. And of course, we've had so much thrown at us. I, I think we were kind of used to the fact that like, you know, every year we would get a phone twice as fast and a computer three times as, as fast as the one is before. And problems were bigger and progress was faster. And then, of course, now with the pandemic hitting, right, we've, we've had this new thing that we've never really experienced before, this complete shift, complete change. And I noticed a lot of people took a step forward and they really became really good leaders. And I noticed other people took a step backwards and kind of went into like management mode, right? You know, what's sort of the difference in your mind between a leader and a manager? And, and why is that important right now? Okay, I think in the corporate world, uh, most people have used the word leadership and then the word management interchangeably. A majority of people think that leadership and management mean the same thing, but in reality, a person can be in management position but lack the essential skills and the ability to lead. For example, we've seen people that are promoted to positions of authority based on maybe number of years of work experience, political alignment, or because they have a privilege and other factors who don't necessarily have the skills. To be a leader, you have to be a person who initiates and leads change. What makes a leader is because they are visionary. They can see what uh, many other people. So aside from that, and generally speaking, I think the focus of management may be different from that of leadership in many ways. And I like to cite a few examples. So if you are a manager in an organization, you may focus on the goals, the processes, the tasks, the activities, things to be done. Whereas if you have the leadership mindset, you'll be thinking about the vision, about strategy, and about change. Another example, managers tend to focus on maintaining systems. They don't want anything to be broken. They want to maintain the shop, run the business as usual. But if you are a leader, if you have the leadership thinking, you'll be thinking about improving the system or building a new system altogether. The manager may focus on structure, on systems, on policies, on administration, but a leader will focus on the people, on growth, and on building. So in most cases, management is uh, positional, hierarchical things in organization, mm -hmm. but leadership we know is influence. In management, we may build controls, manage risk, but in leadership, we develop trust and we create opportunities. So those are kind of the, the fine lines between the two, so they don't exactly mean the same. Yeah, and, and I think if, if companies can do that, right, if we can be more focused on those those better areas, you know, then we can really have high-performing teams. I find that that's where, especially in remote work, uh, especially in organizations that we admire, we think are doing a great job, we notice that they have great teams. They've got highly energized groups of people doing amazing work and, and being innovative and, and breaking through barriers and coming up with ideas and solutions that no one has ever thought about, right? Because they're kind of using the power of the crowd. You know, are, are there maybe certain principles you think that high-performing teams should really consider embracing to be successful in, in, in this day and age? Thank you, Chris. Uh, there are so many uh, team rules and uh, 
driving public books and also in different media. However, uh, in my recent research, I found that there are three key ground principles that all the rules and principles kind of hang on. So you may check maybe it's a business review or any article out there, you'll see a list of several things. So the three, uh, I believe number one includes trust. Uh, there is no team that can function effectively without trust. Trust should be central to everything that the team does. Trust is how we develop integrity of words and deeds, building confidence in others, building a safe environment for work, and also developing respect for the individual. Those are very important. The second one is effective communication. And what makes communication important is the effectiveness. Without the word effective, communication is just any other thing. And I like to say that communication is to a team what the central nervous system is to the body. So without the central nervous system, you can't pass electric, electronic signals across from the brain to various parts of the body. So imagine that the central nervous system has a problem, maybe a break. Uh, if there is a break, then the system can break down. It's the same thing with communication in a team. So in communication, we seek to understand the underlying meaning. What, what is the other person trying to say? How are we coming across? Uh, we tend to be uh, to create acceptance uh, when we are communicating, and we tend to be thoughtful in the way we present our ideas and our opinion, and in the way we receive them with reflection and thinking. So that's what communication is about. And the third one, of course, is accountability. Uh, every team has responsibility to their patrons and to the stakeholders. If you are a footballer, you have responsibility to your fans and to the public. If you are a radio show host like Chris, you have responsibility to your listeners. So every mm -hmm. team has that. So how do you get accountable? Accountability for progress, for achievements, accountability for building people and helping the system to improve altogether. So I think the three uh, grand principles will be trust, effective communication, and so then, you know, we've talked about leadership, we've talked about our teams, then I think the next thing is like, well, then what's next? What's the future of work look like to you? Yeah, uh, the future of work, because uh, change is happening very rapidly, nobody can tell for sure what will happen in 20 or 50 years, but we can take the outlook of maybe the next two, three years, 10 years, uh, the, the very near future to us. I think the future of work will be largely impacted by technology. And I'm saying that uh, with some kind of authority, this has been uh, a product of many research. I was looking through the report by the World Economic Forum, titled Eight Futures of Work, where three interdependent variables that will impact the future of work were discussed. So the first one there was uh, the changes to technology and the impact on businesses. The second one was the learning evolution among uh, whether current or future workforce, and also the magnitude of talent mobility across the world. And we are seeing this in a massive global scale. So technological changes, uh, this is changing the goals, the goalposts for so many people. Uh, in a recent research that I conducted, I looked at uh, LinkedIn's uh, 2020 job reports, and I tried to extract for seven countries some of the emerging jobs so I, I extracted for seven countries, imagine jobs, just looking around the world. And I found that all of the seven jobs, for example, artificial intelligence specialists, robotics engineer, data scientist or engineer, cybersecurity engineer and the likes, that they all require 
similar type of skills, all just revolving around technology. So is it that all of us will have to become computer programmers or robotic programmers in the future? No. But what we are going to see is that we'll see a continuous shift towards data technology-driven work in every job. For example, if you're a medical doctor, uh, you will think more about your telemedicine, remote surgery, variables for right, medicine. Right. If you are, you know, uh, developing, maybe you are a building designer, you'll think about how you integrate technology, modularity, and things like that. So it's mostly just around what technology will do to our future. I think everyone should raise up for it. Well, uh, as you mentioned, you, you published a book that... Uh you know, has gotten some attention, some awards. So congratulations on that. You know, be a, be a change agent, leadership in a time of exponential change. Now, what would you like listeners to know about your book uh, that they might take away from that? They might, uh, you know, get if they go and pick up a copy, which we hope that they, that they do. Thank you, Chris. Uh, be a change agent uh, is a book that offers a unique perspective to leadership in this unprecedented time. I think the key word there is what is going on right now. What should the leader be doing now? And also teamwork too, around the same this same time. So the book provides leaders at all levels a framework for them to develop and improve their leadership skills. And uh, you'll find the book easy to read, concise. I use so many stories that are very interesting in the book. And uh, they provide compelling ideas on the necessity of change, and our response to change. I also included tools and questionnaires uh, to help you to just reflect and practice the concepts that I discussed and for identifying areas of improvement in your journey to become a better leader. So I encourage everyone to pick up the book. And as I'm sure, given what a, uh, so many different things that you do and being a lifelong learner, you're probably reading a book yourself as well. Uh, is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out that obviously is not your own book? <laughs> no, it's not my book. And interestingly, I've got back to the roots. Uh, I'm reading over again for the third time, I believe, the 1937 book by, by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Uh, many people have read the book, but I'm not just reading the book. I'm studying the book over again. <laughs> Yeah, some of those old books, it's like amazing how relevant they've stayed and how, uh, I mean, when I look sometimes on Amazon, like the best-selling books in some of these ca HR category, like the seven habits of successful people and things like that is still like in the top one or two, like every single day. I mean, they're just, they seem to resonate with people, you know, over and over and over again. And that's, Think and Grow Rich is another fantastic example of that wisdom that doesn't seem to ever get old or doesn't ever change. The principles are the same. Well, you, you certainly have talked about a lot today. Uh, you know, if if somebody only heard one thing, if they only remembered one thing that you said, what what is it you hope that they would remember or take back with them to their offices? I will say that everyone should look inwardly uh, to bring about the best in them as agents of change and then take on their roles as captains of their ships. So everyone has their ship. When you excel in your own niche, your area of gifts and talents, you become a leader. So take on that role, think inwardly, bring the best out of yourself and be the best version of you. Well, fantastic. How can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you, uh, your books? Where's the best place for them to go and do that? Uh, you can go to my website, uh, daliola.com, my first name, last name.com. And I have, uh, I'm on social media also, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. 
And people may not know how to spell your name. So can you spell out the website for us? Uh, Deleola.com. It's D-E-L-E-O-L-A.com. Fantastic. I'm sure someone out there may not may have a tough time spelling like me, so they needed a little extra help. We want to make sure that they that they get there. So uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. Learned a lot. I really uh, you know thank you for all the work that you're doing inside of the you know the world of uh, a future of work and being change agents. And I think it's super important, especially given your your more technical background. I think it's it's very well needed. So love to have you on the show again some point and give us an update on all the you know, unique stuff that you're doing. Thank you, Chris. All right. We'll be uh, back next week with two more amazing guests. And then I think after that, I get to play hooky for a few weeks and go on vacation. But uh, thanks to everyone who's tuned in and listened to the show today. Interact with us on Twitter. Hopefully you gain something that uh, you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.